you know, this summer in the Psalms, as we have, Matt and I called it affectionately, the nifty 50s, which really have been a difficult set of Psalms to go through. We're on Psalm 59 today. We're going to be doing 59, and then we have one more week where we do Psalm 60, which, you know, Psalm 60 is equally as fun as the 50s. But um, it's been tough. You know, we've been seeing a lot of David, you know, being chased by Saul, that, uh, that King Saul was jealous of him, that he had been given a harmful spirit, as uh, Rebecca had um, shared with us in the reading from 1 Samuel 19. And here we are again. But although this time... The last few psalms we've been looking at were we were looking at sort of the middle of this saga between Saul and David where David was being chased in, into a cave and was sitting there waiting for Saul to kill him. Now we're at the beginning of the story. We're at the beginning of this quest for Saul to remove the threat to his kingdom in David. We see this issue in, psalm 19, or, uh, in 1 Samuel 19 that Rebekah read that we see that David had done nothing wrong. And yet here he is being chased by Saul again. This time he sent messengers to his house to wait for him, to ambush him as he came out. But fortunately, he was able to leave through the window of his house. What's interesting about the story as we read in 1 Samuel was that David had become very good friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. Very good friends. A deep friendship, that, as we've talked about before, that only two brothers serving the Lord together and having the common Holy Spirit together could possibly have together. It was deeper than what you would call your normal friendship. They were like brothers from different mothers. But they were very, very close. And then we see Saul gives his daughter, his second daughter, Michal, to David as his wife. But David didn't really want Michal at the time because he didn't see himself as being worthy to be the son-in-law to the king. But Michal loved David, so he relented and he took her as his wife. And that made Saul even more jealous of David. That made him even want to get rid of him even more. And then the Lord put that spirit in him, which caused him to even have more disdain for David to where he wanted to kill him. So as we get through Psalm 59 today, this will be the last psalm in our series that deals with this particular saga between David and Saul. As we look through 59 today, we're going to progress through it. We're going to see some things about the Lord that really stand out. They'll be similar to what we've looked at in some of the other psalms, but the first thing we're going to see is that the Lord is faithful, that he will protect us and save us from our enemies. Number two is that we'll see that the Lord is our refuge. He's the fortress that we run to in times of trouble. We'll see that the Lord is a righteous judge, that he is the one who mets out the justice. We don't do it. We do not give out justice. We are incapable of being righteous, but the Lord is a righteous judge. We'll see that the Lord's love is steadfast. It's never ending. That it will never leave us. If we are called to be his people, his love will always be with us. And lastly, the thing that we'll see is that the Lord deserves our praise. 
No matter where we find ourselves in life, the Lord deserves our praise. Let's read Psalm 59 together. Psalm 59, starting in verse 1. David writes, Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine they run and make ready. Awake, come to me and see. You, Lord God of hosts, are God of Israel. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. And there they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips. For who they think will hear us? But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. O my strength, I will watch for you. For you, O God, are my fortress. My God, in his steadfast love, will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. Kill them not, lest my people forget. Make them totter by your power and bring them down. O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouths, the words of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride for the cursing and lies that they utter. Consume them in wrath. Consume them till they are no more, that they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city, and they wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day and of my distress. O oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress. The God who shows me steadfast love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you, Lord. And we just, we are humbled by your word, Lord. We are humbled by these words of David in Psalm 59. I pray, God, that as we go through these words, Lord, that we would see all of these things about you, that you are, you are our fortress. You are the one that we run to when we need deliverance. Your love is unending. You're worthy of our praise. Father God, I just ask that this morning that you would just speak through me. Lord, that your word would speak into our hearts that, and into our minds, Lord, that we would be open to hear what it is that you have to say. And by the power of the Spirit, Lord, we would see more of you than, than what we knew before we walked in this morning. We praise you and thank you. In your name, amen. amen. As we see, David begins this psalm with his prayer to the Lord, describing the situation that he finds himself in. You know, as recorded what we looked at in, in, over this last little while, you know, that Saul had lost his kingdom and he was angry. You know, and that he had been given this, this wicked spirit to, the, to take on David. And so David is in this situation that he had nothing, he didn't do anything to deserve what was going on. He did not, 
he did not deserve any of this. At this particular point in time, he had done nothing wrong to cause Saul to want to kill him. And as we talked about, Saul was jealous of David. He was jealous of him because his name was becoming greater than him. And he was the king. And he didn't want David to be greater than him. And so the best way that he felt that he could eliminate his competition was to do that. Eliminate them. And so he went on this quest to kill him. So Saul sent these messengers to watch David at his house at night so that they could kill him. They were in ambush. They were waiting for him. But Michal, Saul's own daughter, pleaded with David to leave before he gets killed. So she helped David escape. These are wicked men in ambush waiting to kill him. They lie in wait for him, wanting to torment him until morning when they will run, run him through and take his life. So even as David is asking the Lord to snatch and deliver him from his enemies who want to ambush him, he is readying his plea to the Lord that he is innocent. This injustice that David is, is facing is not of his own doing. David's been nothing but respectful to Saul. We have talked about that a lot over the summer as we've looked through the, these uh, last ten psalms. And yet here he is facing the king who wants to kill him. Why in the world would the Lord put a harmful spirit into Saul and to go after David? Why would he do such a thing? As we look through these next two verses here in 4 and 5, we'll see that, that David is going to the Lord and he is pleading his case of his innocence. He is asking the Lord to wake up and take action. Verses 4 and 5 say this, For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine, they run and make ready. Awake, come to me and see. You, Lord God of hosts, are God of Israel. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. He says, I've done nothing wrong, Lord. I've committed no sin or transgression against this man. Come and see. Come and see that I'm speaking the truth. Rouse yourself. Wake up and save me with your righteous judgment. And as we said, David hasn't done anything wrong. He's done nothing but respecting him. And, the, and David is pleading, why is this happening? Make it stop. So when David is calling upon the Lord in verses 4 and 5, he's calling on God, obviously. He's calling on Yahweh. But he uses his personal name, Jehovah. He uses the name Jehovah. And he is demanding Jehovah to wake up and rescue him. That seems kind of bold, don't you think? To call God by his first name and demand him to wake up. It's kind of like, you know, when my mother used to get mad at me. And she would say, Scott Dean Johnson, get in here. And I was like, whenever my mom used my middle name. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, whenever the middle name came out, 
Yep, it meant it was serious, right? You had to pay attention. But in this case, in this case, David is not actually invoking God's personal name Jehovah out of disrespect or anger. But he does want to get his attention. He wants him to see that he is dealing with an injustice in his life, and he wants the Lord to deal with it on his behalf. What he is seeing here is that the Lord is the one who will take care of this. It is not up to me to take care of this problem. The Lord is the righteous judge. He is the one who will provide the deliverance. David wants him to wake up. He said this is a curious thought that he wanted him to destroy all the nations because when we think about this, David knows that there's only one nation coming after him. The word that is used for the nations is the, is the Hebrew word goy. And normally that word is used of the Gentiles. But scholars think that David used this word because he was so upset that he was calling his people Gentiles because they were acting like Gentiles in their pursuit after him. He was not happy in any way, shape, or form. Have you ever found yourself in a situation, either figuratively or in, or in reality, where, where you felt your life was in danger, like someone was really out there to harm you and hurt you in some way, and you had done nothing to deserve it? Maybe a co-worker, you know, is coming after you by taking credit for something that you have done, but they're hiding their own failures and blaming you for anything that goes wrong at work? Could it be that anyone is hurting you or accusing you of something you haven't done is coming after you with revenge in their heart? Maybe in a bad marriage or past relationship? They're trying to bring strife into your life. How do we handle that? How do we handle that? How did David handle that? David tells us to go to the Lord and let him handle it. Remember, David did act. He did not leave himself in danger. He actually left through the window and escaped. But he did not go after those men and try to kill them himself. Although he probably could have when you see what he did to Goliath. He probably could have, but he knew that that wasn't his place. That that was the Lord's place to do. So he distanced himself away from his enemies, leaving through the window and leaving the judgment to the Lord. David remembered the faithfulness of his God, Jehovah, Yahweh, and went to him for deliverance. And he pleaded with God to rescue him. And he sought refuge to the Lord. And as he left the window, he ran into the arms of his God. We know that the Lord knows everything about us and nothing takes Him by surprise. There's nothing that we can hide from Him. Psalm 139, 1-4 tells us this. O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You reach out my path and my lying down. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, Behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. The Lord knows everything that is going on even before 
we even say it. He is sovereign over everything. He is in charge over everything. So even though he put that harmful spirit into Saul, and he knew that Saul would come and take after David, he also knew that he had appointed him to be the next king of Israel, and he was going to protect him. Our God knows everything about us. What's going to happen to us, how it's going to happen to us, and how he's going to protect us. He is an awesome God. It reminds me of the time in Daniel chapter 4 when Nebuchadnezzar, the arch enemy of Israel, and he had been warned in a dream that if he one more time put himself above God, that he would end up for the next seven years eating grass and living like an animal. And so what did he do? A year later, after he had been warned, he stood up on the top of his building and looking out over his kingdom, and he said, look at what I have done. And immediately, immediately his dream came true. And for the next seven years, he was eating grass on his hands and knees in the form of an animal. After that time, he looked up and he said this in, in Daniel 4.37. Remember, this is the arch enemy of Israel. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. At that time, probably the greatest king that walked on the earth, Nebuchadnezzar, was humbled by the God of Israel, Jehovah. And he recognized Jehovah as the true God. It is so easy for us to complain about the unrighteous things that we go through and blame God because He is not delivering us from our enemies at all. Or maybe not fast enough. But we have a Savior in Jesus who understands suffering. He understands what it means to be a human and to deal with temptation and to deal with all of life's troubles. I want to read in Psalm, or uh, excuse me, in Isaiah 53, 1 through 10. This is called the suffering servant. We read this a lot at Christmas time, but I want you to see that we have a God who understands. See if you see if this is a righteous judgment against Jesus, starting in verse 1 of Psalm 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. Remember, we're talking about Jesus here. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And then he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. And there was no deceit in his mouth. And hear this in verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The will of the Lord to crush him, his only begotten son. Is it not the will of the Lord, as we see in David's life here, when we go through difficulties and sufferings, when an injustice happens against us for something that we have done nothing for, and then we complain to the Lord about it, we want it to end. But maybe we should stop looking at it that way. Maybe we should ask the Lord, what is it, Lord, that you are trying to teach me through this injustice or this suffering? What is it that you want me to know more about you? The Lord knows. He went through it himself. And we know that the Lord is a righteous judge. We must leave judgment to God. As we saw last week, if you were here, that God will rightly judge every time. He is always molding us and shaping us into the perfect image of His Son. And sometimes it is painful. It requires sharp instruments. It requires heat and melting. And going to places and going through things that we don't want to do. But God, as a righteous judge, and that being one of his main attributes, is doing this for our own good. What would it be like if we didn't have a righteous judge? What if we just were off on our own without him there to protect us and mold us into the image of his son? These next two verses, David describes the activity of these wicked men. Imagine if there was no judge to take care of them. Verses 6 and 7 say this. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with their swords in their lips, for who they think will hear us. We see in these verses that this persistence of evil. We see also in their arrogance and their anger. It is hateful and it is frightful. It wants to intimidate us. It wants us to be afraid and to give in. If you watch the news at all over the last, I don't know how many years, but it seems like all they want to do now is make us afraid. 
They tell us things that want us to be afraid. Oh, COVID is under control. Oh, now it's not under control. Now it is. Now it isn't. We have this conflict now. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Oh, we're going to raise taxes. We're going to do these things. They want us to be afraid. Because if we're afraid, they control us. And our God is the one who is our king. Only he has control. Only he has control. Atheists sing that they can do whatever they want because there is no God. There is no one to stop us. We can do whatever we want. Evil and our enemies, they want us to do harm and they are hostile to the Lord. They can say they don't believe in Him, but all they want to do is be hostile to Him because they are ignorant and prideful. And they will see the full wrath of God in the final judgment. We can be assured of that. In the meantime, Proverbs 3, 7, and 8 tells us this. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. We are called to shun evil and fear the Lord. That this will bring health to our bodies. Strife brings us pain and stress. It causes sleeplessness. Putting our trust in Christ and allowing Him to be King of our life brings us peace. Psalm 34.14 says, Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The Lord wants us to trust Him and resist evil. Run from it into His arms as our refuge. Let Him handle the battle. Paul tells us to prepare for battle in Ephesians 6, 10-18. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the, this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the, the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which will, you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Our enemy doesn't want us to put that armor on. So I ask you, where is your armor? Do you keep it in your closet? Do you keep it downstairs? Is it in the garage? Or do you have it on? David has his armor on. And through the psalm, we can see that we need to have our armor on as well. As we look at verses 8 through 10, and David tells us that God is somewhat amused by their ignorance and their pride. But he will protect us from our enemies. Verse 8 says, But you, O Lord, laugh at them 
and you hold all the nations in derision. O oh, my strength, I will watch for you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress. My God, in his steadfast love, will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. We see in verse 8 that God is laughing at these evil men as they pretend to walk around and do whatever they want because no one will hear what they're doing. But he is not amused at them. No. He is laughing at them with contempt and scorn. He is angry with them. God does not tolerate those who are blatantly evil and mocking him. In verses 9 and 10, we see David's response is to sing out to the Lord that he is his refuge and strength. David remembers the Lord's never-ending steadfast love for him. David knows that the Lord will protect him and save him through this because he has a greater purpose in mind. So let me ask, where do you run when it feels like you are all alone in this world and there's nothing but trouble? When every text or post on social media seems like it's against you or every call you get is bringing bad news. When you don't even want to walk through the door of your house because you know that when you walk in that door, another trial awaits you. Have you put on your armor? Are you ready for the battle? Are you ready to let the Lord take the fight? Are you pursuing after Him and being on your face by reading His Word and in prayer? Is the Lord your peace? Or do you think He is after you too? There are times when, do, when God does allow us to go through difficult times, just as He is allowing David to learn more about Him by being attacked by Saul. Hebrews 12, 6 through 11 says this about discipline. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are in illegitimate, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God wants us to learn to trust Him and to watch Him work in our lives to see our faith grow in Him. And sometimes, you know, we bring our own suffering on ourselves by hanging around bad people. People who look and act like they have our best interests at heart, but they don't. In the end, they want to just drag us down into the pit where they live. They want to destroy us like a pack of angry dogs. We're to escape from them and to find godly friends and brothers and sisters in the Lord who will help us in our times of trouble. Discipline and suffering is not supposed to be fun. It is difficult, but it is not in vain. It has a purpose. Amazingly enough, it brings about peace, a peace that passes 
all understanding because we can see the Lord's hand saving us, providing for us, and taking care of us, even during the most difficult times of our lives. It develops in us a righteousness that only comes from experiencing the Lord's goodness firsthand. Remember, Jesus was not spared the cross. He did not escape suffering. And he didn't do anything to deserve it either. Paul says in Romans 5, 3-5, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We rejoice, not because it is fun, but because it brings us hope. We get an overabundance of the love of our Savior poured into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what gives us the perseverance to endure, that brings us the character that we need to see past the suffering and to find hope in Christ alone. The same Jesus who suffered as we never will. David himself here, as we see, has been disciplined and trained as a Lord, as a shepherd, to prepare him for his battle with Goliath. This is what he says after he has been trained to the giant Goliath. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with the sword and with the spear and with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, and that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with a sword and a spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Can you stand this boldly as David did before this giant Goliath? Can you, is your faith strong enough to be able to allow the Lord to have the battle? To know that whatever comes our way, that he will take them out? This is the strength that David calls upon when he calls out, Oh, strength, save me. David calls on Jehovah, his God. As we look at these next three verses, we see that David is pleading with God for justice to be served. We see him ask God to let them suffer in their sin, to let them wander about and be trapped in their own stench of sin. Kill them not, he says, starting in verse 11 lest my people forget. Let them totter by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouths, the words of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride. For the cursing and lies that they utter, consume them in wrath. Consume them till they are no more. That they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. David is pleading for the Lord and he's using very vivid language for his request of what God wants, what he wants God to do to them. <clears throat> it is what God wants to do to them. That they may know that 
there is a God who rules over Jacob. That they will not just be killed, but they will be trapped in their sinfulness so that his people, David's people, will see this is what happens when you go against the Lord and not follow him. But then he wants God to crush them, to consume them, to remove them completely so that they are no more. He wants them to be an example. This is the God we have. This is the Lord. A Lord who is not just the Lord, but He is a righteous judge who loves those who love Him. You know, for many years, this question came up a lot. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do in this situation? Again, we have to go back to the cross, and we can see that the, that the Lord Jesus provides us an escape out of evil and our own sins and pride by giving His Son to the most unjust punishment in history. He took our punishment for our sins to the cross, shed His blood, the blood that we should have shed. He took it upon Himself so that we wouldn't have to suffer in that way. His death, His death for us, the innocent for the guilty. This shows an amazing amount of compassion and mercy that we do not deserve. No one deserves any of this. Thus, we should have the same compassion for our enemies like we looked at in Matthew 5 last week. We are to pray for our enemies and to love them. Again, leaving their fate to the Lord. As Jesus said, we are commanded to love God and to love people. And that includes our enemies. And as we come to these last four verses of the psalm, David repeats in, in verse 6 and verses 14 and 15, repeating them like you would in the line of a chorus of a song. Which, of course, we know that these psalms are actually songs to be sung. Then David does what David does so well, even with suffering in his life. He praises the Lord. Let's read verses 14 and 17. Each evening they came back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. But I will, I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been a, to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress the God who shows me steadfast love. We see in verses 16 and 17 show David's heart for the Lord, reminding us of the Lord's strength versus our weaknesses. David will sing and praise the Lord boldly in the morning. He will sing recognizing the Lord as his refuge even in times of distress. And he repeats that again in verse 17. And as we conclude this morning, we need to remember that we have a Savior who understands where we are at. Jesus understands our suffering, our pain, and the battles we face day to day. We can look at his life and death and witness him going through the same things we do. As I was preparing how to conclude this morning, 
and I was reading those last two verses, this Lord brought a song to my mind, a song, honestly, that I have not heard in a very long time. And I want to sing this song to you, which I know is very risky, because I'm not a very good singer, but I'm going to do it anyway, to the glory of our King. Because Jesus is the one who bore my stripes on the tree, and he took my transgression and your transgression upon himself. And in 2 Corinthians 5.21 it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So I'm going to try and sing this song and make it recognizable. And if you recognize the song, I'm going to let, I'm going to ask you to let me try and finish this first verse. And then I'm going to ask Rebecca to come up and lead us in this song. I've never sung solo in front of a group of people before, so I'm taking a huge risk here. Amen. In the morning when I rise, in the morning... When I rise in the morning, when I rise, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Give me Jesus. Rebecca. <laughs> 